As I said at the beginning, uh, this is a birthday celebration, but far more than that, it's a worship service. And it's an opportunity to worship uh, the God uh, whom no one is like. He is so great and so big and so mighty and so loving and so powerful. And really, there's no better chapter in all of Scripture uh, to see that and be reminded of that in than in Isaiah chapter 40. So I ask if you would to please take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. It's page 586. And this morning, I have the great privilege uh, to be up here with my dear friend and one of my mentors, Jim Carlson. And together, he and I are going to walk us through Isaiah 40. Jim is going to lead us through the first half of the chapter, and then I'm going to take us through the second half. Well, thank you, Jim, for the privilege of being able to do this. And also, I want to say thank you to Jim and Lisa for your leadership and ministry at Calvary over these years. Um, I've been away a little bit here and there helping out other churches, but uh, this is still home, and uh, I love to come back, or as we've been gone in Arizona for a few weeks, to watch on the internet to hear you teach and preach, so thank you. Being called to be a prophet like Isaiah was, was a a big task. It was sometimes a very difficult task because the people to whom he was ministering, even though it was the word of God, didn't want to hear it. Sometimes they rejected it, sometimes they simply rebelled against it, and sometimes what he had to tell them wasn't very good news. And that's kind of the setting that we come to in Isaiah chapter 40. And perhaps we can understand that a little better if you go back just a couple of verses in chapter 39. Because in chapter 39, in verse 5, Isaiah says to the then king Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your own descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And in the next decades, that's exactly what transpired. That's exactly what Isaiah prophesied and that's exactly what happened. Jerusalem was a mess. The temple was destroyed. People were scattered everywhere. And many of them, most of them, were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. It was a horrible time for this nation, just as Isaiah predicted it would be. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations in the first chapter of that book, four different times refers to the time that will come and it says that Judah at that point felt like there was no one to comfort them. 
There wasn't anybody to come alongside them. Of course, their situation was primarily of their own doing, but there was no hope. It was a disaster, just as the prophet Isaiah had predicted. No comfort to the nation. But when we come to chapter 40, which is, there's a huge time gap there, but when we come to chapter 40, look at the first words of Isaiah. Comfort. There will be comfort. You're going to experience, Judah, some wonderful, wonderful things, which they did. And he goes on to say, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord, from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's a message of hope. That's a message of forgiveness. That's a message of blessing to this nation that was in such disarray. The next language that Isaiah uses is very, very beautiful. He says, it's like the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then he says, every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Judah, everything's gonna be okay. It's going to all even out. A good day is coming for you. And then verse five, and in that day the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of God, the Lord, not me, Isaiah, but the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a beautiful picture that is for that nation. Hope, forgiveness, blessing. But then Isaiah does something very unique. It's almost as if he answers a question which at least in the text wasn't asked. How is this gonna happen? Who's gonna do this? And he answers it by saying, as a voice cries out, what shall I cry? He begins to talk about man. He says, men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them, and surely the people are grass. The grass withers, Flowers fall. In other words, man is fragile. Man is finite. Man is really impotent. This change, Judah, is not going to become the work of a man. This is not going to be by human effort. It's not by military might. It's not by social reform. It's not by political gain or matters. It's, it's God. 
It's God. And he says there in the text, the word of our God stands forever. Who's going to bring this about? God is. And then he goes on to say, These good, this good news, you who bring good tidings to Zion, go high up on a mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout and lift it up and don't be afraid. And here's the phrase. Here is your God. And then, I said earlier in the service before, these are two verses you ought to put on your refrigerator. These are verses to put on a card to carry in your car. They're phenomenal. He says, here is your God. First of all, the sovereign God, the powerful God. This God who comes with power, his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Isaiah says, this is a God who is powerful, strong, majestic, mighty, a warrior. He wants to fight for you. And then he says in verse 11, he's a tender God. He's a compassionate God. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms. And you, Judah, he'll carry you close to his heart and gently lead those who have young. What an unbelievable God. Tozer, A.W. Tozer was a pastor in Chicago for 20, in, in the early 1920s, 30s, 40s, for many, many years, wrote about 30 books. And one of the books he wrote was called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in that book, he makes this statement. He says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, we may be like Judah, going through horrible times, distress, destruction, disease, broken relationships, financial ruin, walking myself through the death of a spouse or through a career change or whatever it happens to be that you're walking through. Sometimes we're just like the nation We don't feel like there's anybody there to comfort us. That there's nobody there to come alongside us. That maybe we've been abandoned or we've been forgotten or God just doesn't care. But what he says about God being powerful and compassionate, strong and tender is so true. And God is always there. What do we think about God? If we think God is small and limited and his capacity isn't quite what human capacity might be or he isn't very interested in us or he's 
too busy doing something else. If, if we think of God in very small terms, we're going to struggle. We're going to feel alone. We're not going to experience what he has for us. But if we understand the God that Isaiah is presenting to us as big and powerful and mighty and, and strong and, and capable, then we too, even in our moments of darkness, will experience hope and forgiveness and blessing. That's the God we serve. It's interesting because then Isaiah in those next verses, 12, 13, and 14, asks a series of rhetorical questions. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Who's taken the oceans and put them in his hands? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens, the stars, the constellations, the planets, the, the universe? The answer? <laughs> no one. There's nobody that can do that except God. Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who's done that? No one except God. You see, he's really answering the question, is there anything God can't do? And in your circumstance of life, whatever it is, is there anything God can't do? And the answer is a resounding no. Our God is capable of anything and everything. And then he goes on. Who's understood the mind of the Lord? Who's instructed the Lord as his counselor? No one. Nobody, nobody brought God in and said, let me, let me see what you're thinking or let me see how you feel. He says, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? No one. He's God. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? No one. Is there anything God doesn't know, past, present, or future? No. So a God who can do anything and a God who knows everything is the God who promises you and me just as Isaiah promised to Judah is the God who knows and loves and cares for us. Tozer's quote in one of his paragraphs says always the most revealing thing about any Christian or the church including Calvary because we as humans and we as Calvary have had ups and downs and issues to deal with from time to time the most revealing thing is our idea of God. So Isaiah's text right here, chapter 40, will always be the answer to the questions we might have about life, about church, about ministry, and I would suggest we all need to continue to ask the question, 
How big is our God? And so Isaiah continues to expand our vision of God, uh, this big, enormous God who can and will speak words of comfort to us and care for us. Verses 15 and following. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. If you think back over the past 90 years, Calvary Church was started uh, not long after the end of World War I. And you think about the nations that have risen and fallen, countries like Britain, France, Germany, Japan. You think about the countries today, Russia, China, America, And you think about nuclear weapons and great armies and economic prowess and God looks at the nations of the world and he says, they're like dust. What do you do with dust? It's worthless. It's an annoyance. Just a breath and it's blown away. It's gone. God says all of your military might, all of your economic power, all the things that this world has to offer when in comparison with God, it's like dust. And he breathes and it's gone. Verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. These idols that the people of Judah the people of the world put their hope in, can they compare to our God? We too, though, we know something of idols, don't we? There are idols today. We carry uh, some of them in our pockets. When we seek guidance, when we're lonely, we just simply pull it out, right? Even when we look at it, we have the, uh, the position of prayer, as we bow our heads. But we've learned, haven't we? Technology is no rescuer. It's no savior. It can help us get from one place to another on a map, but God is the one who provides guidance. We've learned that. All of us have tried to trust in human ingenuity, in technology, in our own abilities, and we've come to realize they are no comparison to God. God is the one who saves us. God is the one who rescues us. God is the one who heals us. God is the one who comforts us. God is the one who comes alongside of us. Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. I remember being a teenager sitting in the very seats, uh, they were pews, uh, that you're sitting in. And I remember Ed Dobson being, uh, standing up here preaching from Isaiah 40, and he said, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And then he said, isn't it amazing 
that centuries before humans figured out that the world was round. The poetry of Isaiah gives us this beautiful imagery that God sits above the circle of the earth and I sat where you're sitting and I thought, well, that's amazing. That's incredible. That this God who we worship is not only the writer of this text, he's the creator of the world. Of course he knows it's round. And while the Bible is not trying to scientifically answer scientific question, it's amazing to me that the poetry of Isaiah leaves room for the fact that humans were going to at some point discover the earth was round. And that humans have nothing to fear when it comes to science because God is the God of science and the God who created this world and the God who wrote this text and the poetry of the Bible has room for all the findings of science in this place. That's our God who created this world and wrote these passages. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Think about that. Billions and billions of stars, almost innumerable to humans. God counts them one by one. He knows them all. He's named them all. And Isaiah's point of if this is how God takes care of the stars of the sky, if he knows them by name, then surely he sees you. And surely he sees me. Surely he knows what we're going through. He speaks words of comfort to us. And he says, why would you even think that I have forgotten about you? How could I forget about you? You are far more valuable than the stars of the heavens. And so verse 27, he says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. It is not. God says, I see you. I love you. I know you. I'm here to help you. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even 90-year-old churches grow tired and weary. Even 90-year-old churches stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.